The Old Testament reading is from Amos chapter 5. And the Old Testament reading is about God's commitment to the poor. God's commitment to justice. And um, how he does not like it when his own people uh, don't care for the poor. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. House of Joseph is uh, idiom for Israel. It will devour. And Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, you hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, And you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the the times are evil. He's not saying that prudent people should keep quiet in such times. He's saying that things are bad, that the people who are wise keep their mouth shut because they know if they go against this system that they're going to get trampled on too. Verse 14, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say He is. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, here's Philemon again with uh, verses 8 and 9a uh, being the ones that, we're, that we'll think about here in a few minutes during the sermon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And we're going to read through verse 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So the Gospel reading from Mark 10, let's talk about that for a few minutes. This guy comes up to Jesus and asks him, the rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus and asks him, what, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Uh, what he's asking, of course, is uh, not... What he's asking is... When the Messiah returns and puts all things to right, how can I be sure that I'm on the inside and not on the outside? What do I have to do to inherit the age of, of the, the, of the age of life? Is literally what he says in Greek, the age of life. He calls, he calls Jesus good teacher, he says to him. And then Jesus says this line, uh, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except for God. Uh, you know the commandments. And he says, um, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. These are the, these are the commandments that he lists. And then the guy says, I've kept all those. Now, I've always read that. Here's how I've always read that. Tell me if this, well, t- tell me if this makes sense. So I've always read this this way. I'm going to do a little interpretive. I'm not a very good actor, but I'm going to try to interpret this text. Okay. So the guy comes up and says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom to come? And Jesus says, why are you call, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except for God. But back to your question. Here's, here's how you inherit the kingdom uh, to come. Uh, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't defraud. Like that. So it's like Jesus is doing two different things. He starts off by saying, like, why are you calling me good? And maybe that's sort of maybe a passive aggressive way that Jesus is like trying to get the guy to do math in his head, you know? Like, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except for God. And maybe the guy's going to say, no, you're good. And Jesus is saying, no, only God is good. And the guy's like, no, you're good. And Jesus is like, you see what you're saying, right? That I'm God, right? But, and then, and then Jesus is like, well, okay, now that we got that taken care of, how do you get, to, how do you inherit the kingdom to come? Well, obey the Ten Commandments, right? But instead, can I offer this up? I actually, I've always thought that. That's the way I've always read this. Until this past week as I was studying this. 
And I, I think that this is right. I, I mean, I wouldn't swear to it, but I think that this is actually a better way to read this. And it's going to go like this. The, the, the rich kid comes up to Jesus and says, a good teacher, what do I have to do to gain uh, you know, the, the kingdom to come? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There's nobody good except for God. You know this, right? Because the commandments say, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. It's not actually, it's not two different things Jesus is doing here, but it's one answer to the question, how do I get in? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God exists of God. He's the good one. And if you want to get in, it's the commandments, right? Now, the commandments, so, so what the commandments function as, this will be familiar to most of you, what the commandments function as is a way to let us know we're not good, right? I mean, but Paul makes this point a lot in Romans. So the, the, the law says, don't murder. Well, I know in my heart I'm a murderer. I know in my heart that I don't value life. I don't value your guys' lives. I don't, I mean, I might value my own life in a certain sort of crass, physical, you know, I want pizza and to go to bed sort of sense. But I don't even value my own life in a real sort of eternal sense. I play real fast and loose with it in dangerous ways. I'm a murderer. But the law does something besides just show us that we're sinners. The law also, we talked about this several weeks ago, so I'll, I'll repeat myself a little bit. The law is not random. You guys know that, right? I mean, the, the, the Ten Commandments aren't, they aren't random. I mean, it wasn't like before the world was created that God the Father is hanging out with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they're kind of planning out this whole shebang here. And they're like, okay, at some point we're going to have to give them a list of rules. Uh, what do you think we should do? What do you think about murder? Should we say, Thou shalt not murder, or should we go with thou shalt murder? What do you guys think? And, you know, they take a vote, and the best two out of three wins. It's not like that. The Ten Commandments aren't arbitrary. They actually flow out of God's character. God is a God full of life. He's actually the source of life. He's called life. Because he values and loves life so much, he's not a God that destroys life. And so... He makes up a rule to reflect that character. It's a rule. Sure, it's a rule. You shouldn't murder. But beyond that, it's a sign that God is good. The Ten Commandments are a sign that God is good. Now, so what Jesus is doing here is this. He's saying, why are you calling me good? The only thing in the universe that's good is God, right? I mean, check out the commandments. God's the only non-murderer. God's the only non-adulterer in the whole universe. He's the only one that's absolutely faithful to all of his relationships. God's the only non-stealer. God's the only non-lie teller in the whole universe. God is good. And then the kid says, so you see what Jesus is doing, right? It's like, here's this territory here. This is God. Good. Nobody else is good except for God, he says. Everybody else is in this territory over here. And you see what the kid does? The kid says, all these things I've kept since my youth. What he's doing is he's not, this is not just a sort of naive misunderstanding like, Oh, I'm a good guy. It's not just sort of a shallow, like, yeah, I try to do right. It's actually, he's saying, Jesus lays out the categories and, and the young guy says, no, actually, I'm in this group. Jesus says, there's nobody good but except for God. And the kid says, well, God and me, you know, the kid puts himself in this category over here. 
This isn't just, like I said, this isn't just sort of naive, like, I try my best. This is actually rank rebellion with a nice face on it. Rank rebellion is always served up best, too, with a nice moral face on it. Like, I'm a good guy. God owes me something. I'm like God. This is, this is the sin of Adam and Eve, right? The, the, the serpent tells them, you will be like God. And here we are, however many thousands of years later, and this guy's, I'm like God. Nobody's good except for God and, and me, he says. Now, this, this is, I mean, this is all of our sins as well. Y'all are good people. There's nobody in here who relishes the thought of murder, violence. What, what is that? How, how, how good is that at getting you into this category over here? It doesn't really, it, do, it doesn't do it. There's nobody good except for God. Now, at this point, Jesus could blow this guy up, right? I mean, he could, well, he could literally blow him up. He could snap his fingers and the guy would evaporate. But uh, I wasn't talking about that. I mean, he could come down hard on this guy and say, down on your knees, punk. Do you know who you're looking at? You are looking into the very face of God incarnate. I am the only good one. What right do you have to stand here in front of me and claim to be on the same category as me? He could do that, but he doesn't. He looks at him and Mark says, this is, everybody knows this is like a cliche now when you read this text, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's an interesting inclusion that Mark says Jesus looks at him and he loves him. I mean, so I'm, we're assuming Jesus loves all these people that he's talking to, right? Why does Mark feel the need to point out specifically this guy? Jesus looks at him and loves him. It's because Jesus is going to come at him with love. He's not going to like sucker kick him in the back of the knee so that he has to drop down in front of him and grovel. Jesus is going to try to woo him. So one more time, he's going to say, okay. So, so, so he, says, he says that line about, here's what I need you to do then. I need you to sell everything that you have and give it all to the poor. Now, th- this too is also not like Jesus messing with the guy saying, I'm going to make this so hard on you that I win this debate. What he's doing is he's, he's so talking about these two categories, right? So you have God, Jesus insists that only God's in here. The young man insists, well, I'm in here too. And then Jesus is saying, this is what Jesus is saying. Okay, so you, you don't want to be in this category. You don't want me to see you in this category here. You want to be in this category here. Here's what you got to do then. You want to be God? Let's go for it. You need to give up everything that you own. Give it all up. Give it all up to the poor. Jesus is not saying that's a rule for you. Jesus is saying, that's what I've done. You want to be in this group with me and the Father and the Holy Spirit? You're going to have to have no place to lay your head. You're going to have to own every single penny in the entire universe and get rid of all of it. You're going to have to dwell in the midst of eternal glory and abandon that to become a baby with a poopy diaper. You're going to take all your friends and all your family, and you're going to have to step away from them. You're going to have to sleep in places that even the foxes wouldn't sleep in. You're going to have to die strung up naked on a tree. Give up everything, including your life. Because that's what God does. If that's the category that you want to be in, that's too much. Right? That's when the kid walks away. Because that's just too much. But Jesus comes, like I said, Jesus comes at him with love. This isn't like 
I'm going to drop all these rules on you and see if you can see if you can withstand this. He says, if you do this, I will give you treasures in heaven is what he says. Like, I will give you the cattle on a thousand hills. I will give you every single penny in the entire universe. I will give you every square inch of creation. It belongs to me. And when I reclaim it someday, I'll give it to you. You can have it too. Jesus comes, he woos him. He doesn't just say, I'm God and you're not, so down on your knees. He says, I want you to share this life with me. You're going to need to come and follow me. Follow me means that you're going to have to admit that I'm the only one in this category and you're not. But I'm going to give you everything. All right, let's jump back over to the Philemon reading. I mean, you can see now why. I was just going to talk about Philemon here. Um, I don't have Philemon in front of me. Uh, I was just going to talk about Philemon, and then the gospel reading was such a good illustration of this that um, I had to include this too. Also, I preached a good shepherd this morning, so um, I had to prepare a sermon for them too. So I'm double dipping a little bit. They get the gospel sermon. You, you guys are about to get bonus material here. The Philemon stuff is bonus material. This is just a director's cut stuff. Uh, verse 8 of Philemon, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Jesus, the creator of the world, stands in front of this guy, and as the creator of the world, he could say, every knee's going to bow, and it's your turn now, buddy. Right now. Worship me. And he does it. He woos him. And this is what Paul's doing with Philemon here. Paul could command Philemon. Paul could say, look, slavery is a deep and dark sin. I'm commanding you in the name of Jesus Christ to give this slave up. You are not allowed to own another human being. I'm sending Onesimus back, and he is to be a free man, no questions asked. And Paul doesn't do that. He appeals to him on the basis of love. Because, and I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, guilt never actually produces any good results. You can guilt people into like doing surface things what you want them to do. I should do this with my kids, right? I try to make them feel guilty. You know, it's really tempting to say things like, when you do that, you disappoint me greatly. But, but, but them being, but them knowing that I'm disappointed in them is never going to make them Christ-like citizens of this, uh, of his kingdom. It's just going to manipulate them emotionally into doing what I want them to do. And I'm training them to manipulate me emotionally, to make me do what they want me, want me to do. Neither one of us closer to sanctification than we were before it began. And what Paul knows is dropping law on people, never makes people actually holy. Instead, to appeal to them on the basis of the gospel, to appeal to them on the basis of, remember last week, the shared relationship that we have together, to appeal to them on the basis of love. Are you, are you, did you what, what would encourage you to do what your spouse or your best friend or the, that, you know, that sister or brother that you're really close to you, what would encourage you to do something for them more. Them telling you, I need you to do this right now. Or knowing that they love you. And knowing that that love for you is unconditional and always there. And that love invites and welcomes mutual service to each other. I think we would, I think we would all say that. So I, I, I don't do this as much as I should, but I used to find myself to go back to my kids, and I apologize, dragging them into the sermon like this several times, but I used to say to them, um, I, yes, I love you, but you need to obey me. 
I love you, but you need to obey me. And then I caught myself. I haven't done this in a while, and I probably should. I caught myself. I was like, no, that's totally the wrong message. I love you. So, you know, I would tell them what to do, and they would give me that, like, don't you want me to be happy or whatever? I don't know if they would say that explicitly. But I would say, well, yeah, I love you, but I need you to obey me. But actually, that's completely the wrong message biblically. I love you, so you get to obey me. This is what Jesus says in John 15, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's the heart of gospel living. That's the heart of sanctification. That's the heart of actually obeying the law, trying to obey the law, is not because God's going to kick you in the back of the knee and force you to kneel, but that this God loves us. This God is wooing us. He's offering us the treasures of heaven. Don't turn around and walk away and be like, I just can't do that. Why is it that we're like that? Why is it that God offers us all of his good, all of us, all of his good gifts and we feel it as a weight? You know, I mean, this happens, all of us, we do this in our hearts. Don't tell me that you don't. We do this in our hearts. Like, you know, you'll be, I mean, if you're trying to do this Christianity thing, you'll be praying, you'll be reading your Bible and you'll be like, like, God, I want to know you better. I want to be close to you. I want to be holy like you're holy. I know I'll never be in this category here, but I kind of want you to pull me over into this category. And then the Holy Spirit says to you something along the lines of like, okay, yeah, but you know that sister that you've had that fight with for several years now? I'm going to need you to forgive her. And you're like, oh. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible and pray. I'll, I'll, I'll try, you know, I won't steal. I'll be honest at work. And Jesus is like, one more thing. You need to go forgive that sister. And then we turn around and we walk away. Or how often do we not even pray because we know that's going to come up? A lot of, this is what, this is one of the enemy's tricks is you have this sin in your life that you got, you're just holding on to it and can't let it go. And, and you know, he knows that he's, he's totally got you locked up. You're not going to pray. You're not going to read your Bible. You might come to church because you got to come to church, right? But you're going to, you're going to turn on your defenses when you get there because it hurts too much to know that there's this part of my life that I just can't deal with. It's going to say to you, you want to be close to me? Here's what I need you to do. I need you to tithe. Oh, dang it. I work real hard for that money. And you, and you know that we, the car broke down and we need that money for the car. So I, can I do something else? I have this conversation with people a lot, especially the younger you are, the more I have this conversation with people. Is, uh, okay, I, 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 I'm not saying I disagree with Christianity. I actually, I, I mean, I believe in Jesus. And I even, you know, I'll, I'll read my Bible and pray sometimes. And I don't know, I don't come to church maybe a lot, but I, I know I should come to church more. But if I get locked into this thing, I mean, I've had people say this to me out loud. If I get locked into this thing, there are parts of my life, frequently it's like sexual morality stuff, that I've got to stop living this way if I actually buy into Christianity 100%. There's this one part of our lives that we're like, no, God, you don't get to have that. All the other parts of our life, we're like, but we're, we're really good to go, right? I mean, I, I believe in Jesus, and I come to church, and I read my Bible. I'm in this category, right? And God's like, no, you need to forgive your sister. And we just can't do that. It's like a weight. It's like God's like having a, con- we feel like God's having this contest with us. Like, I'll give you this, but you got to do this first. And, and we know that it's impossible. We all feel the weight of this. Like, I just can't forgive my sister. Like, 
I'm not going to break up with my girlfriend to be a better Christian or whatever it is, you know. I can't tithe. We know, too, that once you start tithing, God's going to say, so once you start tithing, you're going to be like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to submit and do right but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God's going to say, actually, I want 20%. But actually, I want 30%. Because we, we, we take that 10% we give and we pull it over into this category and we're like, okay, God, we're good now, right? He's like, no, I actually want 20%. 30, 40, 50. Actually, rich, young, glowing carbonites. I want you to give up everything you have and give it to the poor. And we're like, I can't do that. I have to feed my kids. I have a house payment. I can't give up everything. And God is like, if you want to be right, if you want the kingdom, you have to be perfect. You have to give up everything. You have to obey all the laws. And you just can't. I mean, this is the thing about sin is that you can give up one sin, but it just creates another sin. Are you going to abandon your family to give all your money to the poor? That would be its own sort of sin. That's the situation that we live in. It's impossible to be right with God. See what Jesus is telling this guy? You'll never be in this category. And so the disciples say, what are we going to do then? You, Jesus, this is impossible. It would be like if somebody got behind me. Be like I got two or three of you strong guys to get behind me. And you could like, you push me and shove me and try to cram me through the eye of a needle. It's just impossible. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus says, and he doesn't explain the mechanics of it at all here. All you know is that it's based on love. He looks at you and he loves you. He doesn't explain how he's going to do this. We know that it has something to do with his sacrifice on the cross. We know that it has something to do with the power that he exhibited over all creation when he rose from the dead. But God says, yes, it's impossible for you to be right with me. But thankfully for you, in Jesus Christ, all things are possible. Amen.